Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I'm here with my friends and comic fans from around the world from me, Fariha and Harry, and we are here to talk about the X-Men comic books out this week on the 7th of April, 2021. There were two. One of them is Excalibur number 20, and the other was Marauders number 19. Our discussion always comes with a spoiler warning. We are going to get into all the details of these books and details of the continuity that leads to these books, and these two books had a lot of continuity in them, so I'm sure we're going to be spoiling a lot of stories. As we always do, let's start off with a warm-up round uh, with a question that we will all share today, since our good friend Tyler was unable to make it a quartet today. And my question is, do you have a story about some youthful act of rebellion, however small, that you have had in your life. Faria, do you have a story? So I was a very good, like, you know, just low-key, keeping your head down, studying kind of person, at least in front of my parents. Um, and then there was, I went to all-girls school. There wasn't much to do there, you know, in terms of like weird things and those kind of things. Uh, however, there was a portion of my life where I was uh, uh, pickpocketing like five dot bucks from my parents. Oh, from your parents. I thought this I was going to be like a storm no, out in no, the, no, the marketplace. No, 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 it's not, a, not I was not <laughs> that. I didn't, that. I didn't, I didn't um, escalate to that. And then I would buy books with them. So Ooh, I yeah. was like, it's such a dorky thing. It's like, I was only doing that. And it was like, so it was five takas, which is equivalent of 10 cent. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I would do it slowly. And then, you know, I would go and buy those pulpy detective books that you can only find in Bangladesh. Um, but I got caught and there was like, uh. a, there was like a whole like, you know, <laughs> sitting there, like, you know, all like, council like you know two of them yelling at me and all of that very uncomfortable and now i actually control my parents banks and everything so uh, it's, wow. it's, 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 like you know, i know i have access to all of their banks and everything but you know but i have my own money so i, I don't have to like to buy I, comics and stuff i i don't know if this is going to be my my answer but for you i have a very similar story where back back in middle school uh there was a used bookstore right next to my house and that's uh -huh. where they had comic that's where they had comics um and i don't know if you guys know this but comic books are very expensive it relatively is. Yes. Uh, and i'm in middle school and i have no money um but my parents have a lot of change all over the house so oh, i, I remember back in the day before everybody yeah. just used debit cards or everything just the glory yeah. of the change jar the change, the change so dish, i would the change um <laughs> Like yeah. a water jug, right? Like Yes. So every week I would siphon a little bit of change from the water jug and I take it to Publix, get the cash on the bike. And I do this for like at least a year. And I'll never forget till the day I die. One day I'm in the shop buying like Daniel Way's Deadpool or something. And I just turn the corner at the bookstore and like my mom's, they were books of her own. And we're just standing looking at each other, both like our arms full of books. And she's just like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, all right, it's a long story. We got to go home. So and you she just, was cool with it. So but, there's you know. like two... There there's two prong to that story. Like first you got yeah. caught buying Daniel Way's Deadpool. <laughs> and the second thing is you were in middle school when Daniel Way was writing with Deadpool. I shouldn't have. I, it might so, have been ninth grade. I shouldn't have let off of that. <laughs> yeah. So there was like two things that we learned from I remember story. having to explain Blackest Nights to my mom and like the confusion in her eyes like will never be. I'll never forget that look. Like it was. It was There's unique. different color rings. Everyone gets a ring. And Kat even <laughs> and got no, a ring. And no, Aquaman's cool. There's Scott Jeff Johns who's 
totally not a creep. It's totally cool. <laughs> we were so young. <laughs> wow. And a cat got a ring. There's a cat green lantern. Did you know that? My you know, people like, got I'm just, people got like, I'm just glad you're a, reading. People yeah. got upset when a woman became Green Lantern, but there's a cat Green Lantern. That was okay. She, she was just glad I was reading, you know? That was the bigger thing. I mean, mm. yeah. Got another story. It's a different energy, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I was never a kleptomaniac or, like, you're a, or a, a <laughs> Is that what you just called us? <laughs> <Neither>. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, because I just didn't. I was, like, very, like how can I get, I was always to my family like how could I get money because we didn't really have money to, to a point of my youth so like anything yeah. I could do for, for like a dollar I'm like are you gonna give me a dollar because I got an A are you gonna give me a dollar because I like tidied my room or you get like I was always like where can I get a dollar <laughs> but the, the thing that always sticks out to me and it, you know as especially I'm like preening my hair for the show today <laughs> is um I remember I went to a school that was school uniforms up until I was in sixth grade. And so I never really had to uh, think yeah, about how same. to dress. And so at home, I, j I couldn't even tell you what I wore at home. I remember I did not like jeans because I thought they were like uncomfortable. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what my clothes were. And so then I started going to like a school that didn't have uniforms. And I remember there was this like awkward year where I just was like, what, like, what is, what are clothes even? And, um, <laughs> yes. And yes. So, and I think as, and this was like, as I was becoming an adolescent and I think it kind of like, intersected with also some ideas about gender nonconformity. And so I just decided, like, I didn't have the whole clothes thing on lock, but I was done with getting these, like, stupid, like, bowl cut haircuts. And my mom, for some reason, was against it, even though she's, like, this glam rocker, cool, you know, likes all this stuff. But she's like, you've got to get your haircut. So I remember I plotted, and one day we were going to go to the hair salon, and I, like, waited until she opened the door, and then I grabbed the keys, shut the door, locked all the locks. And I was like, I'm in the car now, the car's mine! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that is rebellion. I'm like, and I like cracked the window and I'm like, we're going to talk about this haircut thing. And she was like, we're, go we're going, we have an appointment. I'm like, I don't care. You didn't listen to me. Like, she's like, we're going to pay a late fee. I'm like, you can pay the late fee. I've been saying for weeks that I don't want to get my haircut. And like, you're not listening. So now we have reached this stage of the discussion where I am locked in the car and you're going to talk to me about it. And so that and, was... <laughs> and then that, wow. But that was such a perfect kid logic though. It's like, if I lock myself in the car, she yeah. doesn't have access to the car. So we can't go there. Like it's, it's so perfect. And I there's like a pure, there's a purity to that because that's like the only control you have at that age. There's literally nothing else that you really have of your own because you're dependent on someone else wholly. So those petty little things are how you feel like a human. Yes. Uh, that's probably a conversation for my therapist. Well, it's like anyway. <laughs> really weird to be on the other side of that as a parent now, right? Where like, I, yeah. I try to not be controlling of ridiculous things, but I do see me being controlling sometimes. And I'm like, oh, that's going to hurt me later. But, uh, and so that <laughs> but was- can you Mm -hmm. But before we go, can we imagine how Moira felt in every life when she yeah. remembered being an adult and she come back and she was a kid again and everyone was treating her like a kid Lose again? Lose my mind. That sounds horrible. She did do it 10 <laughs> times. times. And like the earliest she could get away was like 13. She had to just do 13 years, including being a baby, of knowing <laughs> everything. Imagine that. Ugh. But... Uh, but this is, this and is she knew how to walk and she couldn't walk when she was a one-year-old. <laughs> or just imagine them like giving you like baby books, like, you know, like <laughs> 10 rubber ducks or whatever. And you being like, I, if I could just get that molecular biology textbook from the shop. <laughs> because please, really... I have mutants to save. <laughs> All related. Yeah. All right. But anyway, that's the secret origin of, of the crisis hair. That was the that was the beginning, and it didn't used to do this. This is all, but now but now you know the, the secret origin. <laughs> to get started with Marauders nineteen, let's have a lightning round of our reactions, starting with Furiha. Um, 
this was, I don't know. So I've been liking Marauders a lot from the very beginning. It's a lot of fun and a lot of that. However, as it's kind of, I don't know whether it's winding down, whether, we, I don't know which direction it's going, but I am feeling like this is, this is like talking about X-Men that was before Krakoan age. There was like the whole issue of that they're fighting kids and kids are manipulating mute, what mutant status and this goes back to the whole thing. It's like, oh, you can't come in because UN put a sanction. I'm like, really? UN put a sanction on Krakoa and Krakoa didn't have anything to say. <laughs> um, there are some character moments that are cool, that were funny. Uh, there was like Morlock showed up. Um, there are some other stuff, which is all cool. Everybody's talking about Gala, you guys. Like Gala, Gala, Gala. And I really enjoyed the last page of the fashion thing. That was really good. So overall, I'll just give it somewhere at three, three out of five. All right. Harry, what did you think? This was wonderfully solid. Uh, I, I have feelings mostly like Fariha, but I feel like I liked it a little more. Um, a big reason is I just love Stefano Caselli so much i think he's just an amazing artist and so i'm reading this and i'm just like this is such a pleasant nice showcase of his art it's such a base primal reaction where i just i can't have a bad time reading it uh, but yeah i i do this does feel like a book that's winding down which i don't mean as a compliment it feels mm -hmm. like a little bit of wheel spinning almost which is uh frustrating because you want these books to have momentum i feel like some of these books have felt like they're just waiting for events like the gala or what have you which is not what you want and um but it's got some cool moments it's got some really cool ice uh bobby and uh, pyro stuff it's got really good stuff with a, a surprise feature ca featured cast and um kitty pride look kate pride looks really good in this she looks amazing um all that said though, i'm gonna give it 3.75 uh fire and ice is out of five <laughs> <laughs> The thing that really occurred to me it was was just art. Like, I was just hit by the art. Not only Caselli's art, who I, I really do like, but Edward Delgado on colors just, I think, just went off on this issue. The color work is so great. And I love color work that's so good that I can get lost in the colors. So often colors are, like, serviceable. But here I was like, ooh, let's look at the colors, which is a fun feeling to have. I also am an easy mark for Morlocks. And so I really love the stuff that it was talking about with Morlocks here. It, it was pleasing. But the thing I would come back to in my initial reaction, and we'll get into all this that I think both of you hinted on is there's this idea of technical debt when you're in a tech organization, which is basically like it costs more to keep solving the old problem than to just wipe it from scratch and do a new thing. So just spend the time to do the new thing. And some of the stuff with like still trying to make the Hellfire kids relevant and still trying to address some of these Madripoor things that have been around for decades, it really feels like technical debt to me. Like we almost have something new and different. Why are we spending issues of time to on these plots, which are like very old, antiquated plots in terms of what we could be doing, which I think the Morlocks plot represents to me what we could be doing. So I am sure these themes are going to come out at least from me in this conversation. But that was my reaction. Didn't hate, didn't love, great art, maybe burdened with a little bit of depth. Okay, so let's get into this for a moment. And, is it um, like your let's like time debt inversion? Is that what you're going? Right. With? This is actually we're this here. actually we're gonna pivot and this is gonna become a finance channel. That's why everything's about debt in these conversations. We're gonna just, just pivot, pivot and talk about cryptocurrency and all diversify that. Diversify your bonds. That's yeah. all I can say. 
As much as it's tempting to kind of just go through this sequentially, I actually think the more interesting discussion might be to address this particular issue non-sequentially. And I, because I think the most important thing is something that doesn't come out until almost the end, which is the way the Morlocks are being used here. Now, I know you, you've read a lot of X-Men, but you haven't necessarily either of you read like the original Morlock stuff. You know, but I think you get at this point, they're ugly mutants. They lived in the sewer. They were massacred by Mr. Sinister's marauders. Like the, this is all taken as read at this point. So there's this really interesting situation that this issue reminds us of that the marauders, uh, or I'm sorry, the Morlocks are not on Krakoa, largely. They're have, they have their own thing that they're doing. But Callisto pulled Mask into the Madripoor stuff by have him do his magical mutant operations on babies in the prior issue. And now that there's unrest in Madripoor and the X-Men are barred by international law or something from getting involved, Kate and Callisto come up with this plan that they're basically just going to backdoor the, the Morlocks into Madripoor and have them do the dirty work. And this I almost missed, honestly, until the one of them was like, kill no man, huh? Well, I don't live on Krakoa, which really makes you realize that there are subcultures of mutants out there that actually don't subscribe to all this Krakoan stuff um, and are existing just fine. So I just am really interested for the two of you who maybe don't have quite as much background on Morlocks as I do. How did this subplot hit you? And how did you feel about Kate and Callisto really using the Morlocks without even fully explaining to them what they were getting into? Faria. So um, th I think this that is the theme of this week's. Yes. Uh, both Ex both uh, Excalibur and for Marauders is like there are not like you know mutants are not monolith and then yes. they are not just going mm -hmm. to just accept everything. Um, so we talked about it right before we started recording about like continuity, how there is so much continuity. But I just wanted to point out this is a good uh, example of continuity being used. I'm where so happy you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, no, where it's like I didn't know anything about it. I understood the context. I understood where they were coming from. I understood what the history between them are. It was all laid bare right there. And then it, was, it wasn't it was hindering at all. Um, but to that point, though, it's like, you know, Callisto is like, she's part of the Morlocks, right? She used to be part of the Morlocks. She was the leader. Or she she was yeah. a leader of yeah. Morlocks. But, but the thing is, like, if you think about it, it's like, she's the prettiest one of them all. And so that's why she gets to still come to Mutant and be well, part of now, the upper tier. Her whole thing now, used to be about how ugly she, she was. Right. That's like, right. she gets to be other, but, but then the thing is, like, yeah. others are like, you know, oh, they're not. And then they are used as soldier for the Krakoa nation in a way. And they are not even told that they are being used. And as a matter of fact, they are actually used. Oh, these are, they are monsters. So we are just going to use them as such. So in a way, like, you know, we talked about that, how these are like kind of thinking, like, you know, uh, we talked about like the economic, technical debt, like these are like older stories. But then there's also signs of like fourth generation writers of new age of Krakoa, like that are doing something that are interesting. Um, however, I feel like, it's a lot of things that we are kind of talking about it because we want it. I personally want it to be true. Was this in the story? I'm not sure. Did that I make sense? I it was. I hear okay. you though. Like we sometimes see these themes and we're like, there's a difference between mm -hmm. seeing the theme in the book and the theme being intentional in the book. Some people would actually say there's not a difference. That's a whole different critical discussion. But before yeah, I dig sure. into that, let me tag <laughs> in Harry here. 
<laughs> I actually thought this worked really well. So I know the Morlocks. I don't remember from where, but I have read a, a few stories with them. So Clown it might months. just be like some kind of, yeah, some kind of fugue state from way back when. Um, this worked great for me. I think it was this interesting, like it is one of the very, I think one of the few times we've seen like a entirely different faction operating outside of Krakow and Toy being comfortable with that in their own way. Um, and like, it, it's a, it's a weird counterpoint to the scene, you know, in an earlier issue where, uh, the one Morlock was given this like great purpose and way of healing these children and what have you. And this is the way more ambiguous thing where they're being used in this way. And it gave it this kind of like, like a little bit of murkiness that I thought worked really well. Um, also not to be basic, but it looked really good. And so the vo the voices felt good. Like I think it just had the right kind of energy. I, I think the scenes with the Marlocks were easily the best of this issue. Um so yeah, two thumbs and up. And then to that point, like another thing we talked about is like ugly, there being the ugly mutant. I'm like, why is Beak not part of them? That's my thing. So, like it's so it's like, so incredibly arbitrary. Also, not to like, make that a whole right, thing, like who's but, ugly and who's not. Yeah. Also, Faria like, enjoying a story with ugly mutants. This is what we call no. Gold. These are no, because, but that's what I'm saying. They're not ugly enough. <laughs> they're not Beak. Like you know, they're not. Like, they're they're just like. Very like, like you know, Slide and Glob Herman are not attractive creatures. They are they're creatures, really. Let's they're like <laughs> golems and gelatinous, you know, like yeah. the guy's eyeballs so like, are popping out of his skull. Ver versus this one, one, one lady, like you know, her she's like she's all fine. Then she opens her mouth, and you're like, ah, like, what, like, what, what and I is have to that? Say, and then, the thing I loved, I had to review that character. Her name is Bliss because I I could not recollect her at all. So mm -hmm. I went. And like did my wiki dive and she is she specifically was made by mask at one point to look like jean gray because i love on the big splash page not really a splash but it's a big panel of all of the morlocks yeah. that she right. not only looks like jean gray but she specifically is drawn like walt simonson draws jean gray and i was like oh that's like a really good riff on simonson drawing jean gray <laughs> only then to read the wiki and be reminded oh she is literally jean gray from walt simonson drawing jean gray i just thought so that was really cool and yeah. no, and like given that you know all the history of sinister and Morlocks and stuff like that, I know on a very separate level. I'm like, oh, don't tell me that's another clown. No, like no. you know, <laughs> we are we are we going to have another one of those? Yeah, put her in the ground. Let's not bring her back. But like, I think you know. the, the other interesting, not to get too deep into continuity world without Tyler to back me up because he's way better at this than me. But uh, Marrow is somebody I think you would really have interesting opinions on because Marrow is kind of like second or even third generation Morlock. And she basically comes up and is saying like, we're too satisfied to just be here in isolation, not doing anything. Like if, if we're really going to have our own power and be our own society, we should be active. We shouldn't always be downtrodden. And that's in the like um, early 300s of Uncanny X-Men. It comes to a head in Uncanny X-Men 325 as she kind of leads a separatist group. And then she later joins the X-Men. So it's kind of this like constant cycle. Uh, and I think it's really funny because, not funny, but like remarkable, interesting, because... It's a different dynamic now. It used to be the Morlocks would always say to the X-Men, like, protect us, protect us. And the X-Men would deign to protect them when they needed to. And then sometimes the Morlock would be like, stay out way, stay out of our business. And we've seen that too. But here's like a very specific situation where Krakoa is basically coming to them and saying like, we would like to use you. Which really exposes, I think, a lot of interesting things that are emerging about class. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the things that is becoming an, a theme here is that not all mutants are equal in this Krakoan society. There's the cool X-Men mutants. There's the pretty mutants. Uh, and, there, you know, there's the people who even got a resurrection. There's the clones. And here we have the Morlocks. 
Yeah. Yeah. Who are not even told that how they are being deployed. That was that was something. And you know what? A little bit of me, I'm like, yes, mutants, be evil to each other. <laughs> like, you know, be use each other to be evil. Don't like, you know, it's just I think so that's one of the things. Like, you know, it's just like a lot of the story beat points are very like old school and I'm like, uh, but then then you get to this point and you think start thinking about it. Like, okay, at least those were interesting. Right. Like, you know. But um something that Tyler made sure that, you know, wanted us to talk about though is like uh the surgeon guy, I forgot his name, mask. when he mask. When he comes in uh and he meets Kate in the sewer, that was their first meeting as well. So it's a it's a copy paste of that. Like that's yes, one of the reasons. He- so Kate back in the day was was kidnapped by the Morlocks. Calis- or Caliban wanted to marry her, and then the X Men would go down to the sewer. It was a whole thing, and like Mask was one of the major named Morlocks even back then. So it's absolutely a, a mirror. T- Tyler sending us written instructions to make sure. Yeah, we're Richard, about yeah. This. Like, he's, getting a, he's getting a nosebleed right now. He doesn't know why. He's just like <laughs> someone's talking about this. And stuff. it's like, oh, real cute kitty. And then it's like, it's Kate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? That was gross, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's but, the other oh. thing. I know Freya hates when mutants have to go through se- sewers. I I didn't get why. Kate like being sick and throwing up was such a beat. Like she was phased. Like yeah, she went through the sewers. But then she came up, like, I, I couldn't figure out if I was supposed to be getting something else from her throwing up all those okay. times. I was, I, so, I was so confused about why it was such a big plot point. Right. And I was actually, I'm like, did she, ha- did she have sex with someone? Like, you know, like, I, it's, I, it's I a baby. That. I'm like, is she pregnant? Like, not that that's a thing we should have to think oh, about the characters every time, but it just was so incongruous to what was happening that I could not figure out why it was important. Uh, yeah, because it was there, there twice. And then yeah. I was like, whoa. I'm like, hmm, where is Colossus? Not that she's with him anymore, but <laughs> that'd be such a friggin' left tur- like a curveball. Like, hey, by the way, Kate's pregnant. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no. So that's okay, not that. now that we've talked it, so I think consensus, if I can be fair, is the Morlock stuff works even for some of us as newer readers than or older readers, and uh, it feels like an interesting next step in this Age of Krakoa story. Now let's talk about something that's maybe not as interesting of a next step. My The technical debt that I mentioned. We still have these Hellfire kids. Let's just get it out there that this particular group doesn't like them. It's fine if you like them. Everybody likes the things that they like. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, 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 maybe Harry's not willing to sign on to that statement. Oh, Harry likes them? I like the Hellfire kids and Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. This was the issue where I'm like, why did we bring them back? It's not even like I hate them in this. I'm just like, the feeling is off and they're not adding anything and it just doesn't land. We'll talk about that more because I think that's where I was steering. Talk about the difference as as a like as a liker of these awful characters. (laughs) Talk about the difference about them landing for you in Wolverine and the X-Men and not landing for you here. So I read Wolverine and the X-Men. It was one of my first X-Men runs. It still remains one of my favorites. Peter just had a stroke. He doesn't know why. Um, actually, yes, he does. But uh, <laughs> I had nothing to compare it to. I'm not comparing this group compared to the old Hellfire Club, who I know are a bunch of like leather daddy loving rich people. Like, But like, oh. <laughs> I wasn't here to... Yeah. So they worked during Wolverine and the X-Men because that's a very cartoony, whacked out book and they were the right energy. They're a bunch of crazy kids with jetpacks and guns and one of them's a frankenstein guy and a girl's like 
you know, crazy. And like, it wasn't like my favorite part of that book, but it worked. It worked for that bonkers energy they were doing. And then you have it in this book and they've gotten a little bit older and they're more like, they're being played more straight because this is a more straight book than Wolverine and the X-Men. Most books are. And it just doesn't feel right because what made them fun was how cartoony they are when you try to make it more of a grounded thing that's dealing with economic policies and sanctions and and, and what have you it just it, it it just feels like you're taking away the only thing that made them enjoyable like like the, there's a conversation that's between bishop and the 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 frankenstein One yeah of I don't, yeah he's the frankenstein kid i know i remember this but like you don't get any of the fun of this kid who's like literally a descendant of Victor Frankenstein, if I remember correctly. He's just like one mm. of the guys. And like, it's just, it's just kind of like, just kind of there. Um, so I didn't like it very much. <laughs> well, I think you, I want to turn it over to Freya, but I want to pull out a specific point there, which is that I don't know that I hated them just because I hate fun or whatever, although I do. No, yeah. But the, I, I think yeah. the, thing, the thing is that it's <laughs> this tonal whiplash, right? Because they were introduced in, in Schism as, as this threat that was so yeah. major to the X-Men that it was going to cause a crack down the middle of the X-Men. And I never understood that. But then you see them in Jason Aaron's run and it's like, oh, they're just made so that he can write a kid's book that's not just about grown-ups murdering kids all the time. And it's like, and and but he like set them up to be evil enough that they had weight as a villain. And over time, even though I didn't like them, I came to appreciate that he was like playing a rhetorical game there with making them big enough to be threatening, but then having them be kids so that he would have a villain for Wolverine the X-Men. But now we have them facing off against the Marauders and it feels incongruous again to me. Freya, what did you want to talk about here? Uh, I mean, that's, it's just, I kept saying that. It's like, this is like the writing X-Men before Hawksbox. Like, it, this is a perfect story for X-Men before Hawksbox. Like, okay, yeah, because they are so downtrodden because my God, like, you know, I hate, okay, can I just, I just want to put the disclaimer. I hate that, I like, you know, that people keep on like, it's like, oh, okay, just take them as a fictional characters, you know, but I am a visible minority. So I, and they are considered to be a visible minority. So I cannot just take that as as a face value. And the thing is, I want to forget that, but the thing is, the comics don't let me forget that right, because they keep exactly. on reminding me again and again, oh, they're feared and hated and they have to save the world that fears and hates that. So, okay, so you tell, give me all of that. So I have to kind of take it from that point of view. And then it worked at that time. Like, okay, fine, they're not organized. They have no vision for the future because Cyclops is their dumb leader. And so it none of that worked. And at that time, these were perfectly good villains for them. But now they're in a playing in a complete different level. They are a nation now. And are you telling me that one of these kids could go to UN and shut them down and they as a nation could not fight back? And they had to fight in the sewer? Like, you know, with their <laughs> with their like, you know, their Delta team. Like, what is this? And I, I just like I, I just yeah. hate that. I want the children of the vault to be here. They are more formidable. They are well, formidable I, villains. Why I get are the these impulse. So villains? I understand why Doug and wanna have a an econ an economic force or foe in this book, considering all the global trade kind of subplots and and just ramifications in this book. Makes total sense. And I get why you would want to bring in some continuity and get the Hellfire kids in and have some sense of transition, even if that might feel like we're just doing old stuff, as you guys have mentioned. But 
somehow, despite Duggan being very good at at goofy writing and being able to tap into that, he just doesn't do it here. And they don't come off like a threat. They don't come off like a lot of fun. You're left with a, with a whole lot of nothing, which is super disappointing. Um, and yeah, this this just wasn't the right pick. And then not to mention that there's an old, like, you know, I, I forgot, like, I think she was from China, like old Chinese lady who was hanging out with them. And that just feels so weird. I mean, <laughs> everything like about that, <laughs> everything about that feels weird. So well, she's mad. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether because Dugan wants to make the heroes to be funny and everything. So he can't make the villains to be funny as well. You can I don't do know. both. You yeah, can, I don't know. but they're not, but they're not funny. That's the thing. <laughs> but I do, anything. I do, I do like the idea of like, okay, this, given that this is all about trades and everything, you have uh, villains that are connected to finance. I do like yeah. that idea. Though. Right. That yeah. part works for me. It's just, it's just, it's just, I, I'm not here to just hate anything just because I hate it. I'm never opening comic book just to like write it off because a certain character is there, but like make it work. Plenty of these yeah. Age of Krakoa writers have taken something that I don't actually enjoy and made it work. We're nanny fans on this on this show, okay? <laughs> fans of nanny. Uh, anybody can make anything work. You got to make it work. So here's the third chunk of this non-continuity run through this issue. We've talked about the Hellfire Club. We've talked about Morlocks. I want to talk about Madripoor for a moment. Madripoor... Um, we almost, almost get a moment here where we actually get to think about the people of Madripoor for a change. It's so often used as this anonymous Asian country staging ground for Marvel nonsense. And you don't even get a sense that like anybody lives there. Like the only people who live there are just criminal element. That's that's all of Madripoor. <clears throat> and this is one of the first times that like, I feel like we're actually close to something where the people are like, you're just warring over our, our space, our lives, our bodies, not just the Vrendi Corporation, not just the criminals that were here to begin with, but now the X-Men, the Morlocks. Like, it's it's fine that you came and saved us in this instance, but then are you just going to leave us afterwards? And it's like, I can't decide if I fall more on the continuity as technical debt side of the equation where we were with the Hellfire Club, or if I fall more on the this is good new material, like the Morlock side. So I'm really interested to hear where the two of you come down, because I'm I really don't know which way to feel yet. So this is a lot. What was happening to them was a lot like what was happening to mutants before. You know, like it just yeah. felt like they, it, it was like, OK, now they're a little bit on the top higher side than, you know, than the humans, like, you know, more downtrodden humans. Right. But mm -hmm. the thing is, are they doing enough to help them or are they just go reverting back to however they were treated and then just bing bang boom come here trash the place and then right. just go so once again there is like a that element is there that thematically that can be explored is it being explored or are we just it, this is it this is all we're right. gonna get i get the sinking feeling this is all we're gonna get um mm. But I still kind of liked, I don't know. I mean, I don't have half the relationship with Magipur that y'all do, but like, it felt I don't like Black Widow has more, more yeah, yeah, yeah. relationship. My relationship to, uh, me, to me is that I find it, it puts me to sleep. <laughs> I like this No, it's more extremely than, um, racist. It's extremely, it's extremely racist. racist. Because it, the more and more I read yeah. it, the more, yeah. Just like yeah. evil Asian country. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, yeah. shot for shot, Bangladesh. But hey, still racist, you guys. <laughs> so. I can say it. <laughs> I can say it. But it could be based I... in reality and also still racist. I think the Morlock stuff's cool. I actually land on, I think it's like a nice progression of continuity. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel as like old hat to me as it does to maybe y'all, but um, I'm not here like doing backflips about it. it. It just was more serviceable. I don't know. Well, yeah. and here's, you know, I always try to read things with an open mind. And part of that is kind of learning to see the themes I didn't see before. And I think before we did our Hicksman report on Hawks and, and Pox, I didn't really think about colonialism in comic books that much. It just wasn't a thing to me. But at that time, you know, I'd been living in New Zealand for a few years at that point and learning about the colonialist history of New Zealand. And I was also reading books like The Savage Shores and Little Bird. And it, it opened up my awareness to be able to see that in comics, sometimes unintentionally, right? Sometimes it's like a white writer from a colonizer country who is just writing a plot that everybody can see, like, this is colonizing. But to them, it's just this, like, fun plot. And so I think that's why, like, I'm having a different reaction to Madripoor that I used to. Like, the X-Men are are doing this thing where they provide limited aid, but then they just want to pull away the scaffolding real quick, you know, which is a very, it's a move that's been pulled on many, many countries around the world. And it's been made very literal here and that they literally built a hospital. Like, you all must need a hospital. We're we're the, the rich, privileged po folks. We'll drop by and make you a hospital named now. after one of our national heroes. Although like, they don't now. know that yet. Uh, but, and, and they come because Callisto has led them to believe that the hospital is what, to, what they want to tear down. But it actually turns out that this hospital, which is the, you know, has been colonized right onto this uh, island, even though it was meant as a good thing, is the one thing that's not in danger. Not these people, not their neighborhood, not the livelihoods, but this thing that this other multinational force put on the island. So I, I don't have all the tools to, to assess that critically, personally, but I'm trying to learn them. And I think that that's why it came off so strange to me it felt like we almost got the perspective of the people on the ground but then at the end it turned into like so you want to run a bar like it's it came off really surface level to me by the end of the issue i don't know somebody <laughs> saved me from myself here <laughs> no i mean you're you're 100 right and that's it just like it feels like it's there but then it's not there anymore and then and and if then another thing i just thought about if like if more marauders are not doing this kind of stories what other stories they can be doing. I I don't know. What's their what's the mission statement anymore? Right. It does doesn't it feel like we've really like at some point it was about drugs, but isn't that kind of the point? Like it was about exporting their culture in the form of a product and that product being something that could help people that they would either withhold or supply. And it actually turns out that that whole story is a story about this thing that's happening here. When you try to withhold or supply something in a, in a capricious way like that to benefit some and punish others, this is the result. Like, is, is that really what this whole story has been? Whether Duggan, again, intention sometimes doesn't matter whether Duggan intended it or not. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that, you know. But two things we do, I did wanted to talk about before we kind of go away from this um, is like, at the very end, Bishop, what do we feel about all of that? Like, did it... Like in this issue or... Yeah, like, you know, he just blew himself up. That's... He didn't blow himself his, up. I don't think he blew yeah. himself up. Yeah, no, he just, was there. He didn't hide. He didn't run away. Yeah, he did. I think he left. left. 
You think he left. He, you think he, he stayed in the building? Well, because yeah. we know. Oh, here's the thing: we know he didn't intentionally yeah, kill move. the kid because that is murder no man. So if the kid yeah. had enough time to get out, I assume that Bishop had enough time to jump oh, out a window okay. or then, something. Okay, then that makes it a little cool. I totally understand. Yeah, no, rereading. No, because it, yeah, because I'm like because. Leave. Yeah, he does not leave. That's what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, maybe he just wanted to remove the M and this was his way of getting that done. <laughs> like, I don't know. Because I'm like, oh, okay. So that was like kind of badass, but kind of suicidal. Like, you know, it's like, okay, that was also a little bit unnecessary. So I don't know. I mean, I was just a little, you know. But the other one that was a little better is that the Pyro, um, Pyro, right? His name? Yeah. The guy with the, with the Pyro, like... His conversation with um with Iceman over here is about like you know, the the whole how he felt like yeah. you know how he like this is like a redemption for him. It feels like the team is doing working for him and stuff like that. I thought that that theme kind of ran into Excalibur in a lot of the ways, and then you got to kind of see how fractions of like you know mutants who were not necessarily in that weird school where they were just all there and doing god knows what learned nothing did nothing just was in the school how life varies from that you know right. when like you are I a think, mutant yeah they and then and then the thing is like so there is like how different people are reacting to it i really want more about this like i want a series about this like you know how mutants are reacting to krakowa who are not x-men Maybe it's because uh, we're so close to the Hellfire Gala, and it's very clearly kind of seems like a Duggan uh, event, more, you know, mini event more than anything. But like, I just don't know if we're ever going to get that stuff. This seems like a book that's slowing down and not in a good way. No, and it doesn't I, have to be just here. Yeah. It yeah, could be yeah, everywhere across just, the board. Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking. I'm just rambling. But like, it just it feels like we're getting done with this and that kind of bums me out because i feel like we this arc's been odd you know mm. well let me mm. let me uh throw out a final topic on this issue that there is the gala running beneath this a little bit because we know that it's coming and we know that even though it's more explicit in excalibur which we'll get to talking about separately um it kind of looms here because it's the hellfires gala and and it's emma frost's kind of mission and while she's getting ready for a big party, she's also kind of fighting this turf war. And clearly it's going to come to a head. We've seen that the kids got invited. And it's kind of like, they're, they're just going to walk into the gal and be like, hey, you just tried to blow me up. You know, like, they're, they're, <laughs> Kate and crew are specifically antagonizing them, knowing that next month they are going to have to sit down and have dinner with them. It's And it's not like Great they're going to kill them. So they know they're going to show move. up. <laughs> Well, unless the Morlocks kill them on their behalf, right? Yeah, yeah, because the thing is that Morlocks doesn't have to abide by the rule. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's a cool thing, cool concept though. But it's still at the same time I'm like, oh. Um, was... Well, and one but thing yeah. we haven't contended with yet because it just hasn't. We haven't tested that rule too much. Is what happens if there's somebody who is in Krakoan society who breaks the rule and then basically extradites themselves? Why? Like, what if Sabretooth had been like? screw y'all i'm leaving so take your hole and shove it up your hole you know like what <laughs> drag them back what, 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 them like the are they going to then know. start dragging mutants in and like what what does that mean about krakoa kind of appointing itself the mutant police for well, people who don't really, even want to be part of its society that's very specific and that is a it sounds like a current citizen who then uh right 
uh, forgoes citizenship and then leaves. That's more like you can almost view that as ownership, which that's a whole other thing. But like you can see that making some kind of sense. It's not. It's different if it's like the Morlocks and they just stormtrooper kick down the doors or what have you. That's uh, a darker a card, thing. As a card carrying member of Brotherhood, I say that's a traitor. Kill them. <laughs> Kill them all. Kill them. <laughs> but yeah. we, know, we know that Moira really doesn't like Sabretooth, right? Like, we just know no. it. Moira really doesn't like Sabretooth. <laughs> like, if you see... Oh, anyway, we'll talk about it another time. But yeah, mm-hmm. that guy had never had a future in this era. Um, <laughs> and then also, like, last thing we do, we should talk about this, the last data capture data page. Um, Tyler reminded me, asked, Tyler asked me to ask Peter if you remember the fashion magazine, not fashion magazine, but the swimsuit edition of X-Men that of came course. out in 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, I recall them. We talked oh, about, we, we, our conversation always seems to go there when I went on an Omar, Armar's channel talking about near <laughs> condition. Somehow it always turns out to be about the swimsuit issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she was talking like, you know, is there a low key uh, solicit? It's like, oh, by Christmas, we're going to get a fashion magazine of the gala. I was, I I was that like, that. Yes. fingers crossed. Yes. Like, let's yes. get all stellar artists, get some of these people from Twitter who like, you know, people love, uh, get some of these people like Kevin Wada and just do a pinup book of Please, that's money on the table. You want it. And just do like, long form I, articles. Have people have people of interesting things to say. You know, just write like, uh, we all want it. Every one of us bring, would buy it. Just, bring, and then get Kieran Gillen to edit that. He done it for a way. We did. He done you're, it for yeah. Big Dev. So, <laughs> you're describing like, that thing, yeah. 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 <laughs> but the thing is, the last thing that I took away, it took my breath away. Like, you know, when I when I saw that, actually. The last thing this, uh, this fashion uh, editor person or the writing person is saying, I'll be attending the Hellfire Gala with the rest of you, watching from home in our sweatpants. I wasn't born a mutant, c'est la vie. It's like, wow, <laughs> wow, you mofo like it's I, like i was not born a mutant as being something as a jealousy do you yeah. know how that sound wow. like that how terrible good. that sound like it took my breath away that it's it's functioning in in two different ways right because the hellfire gala on one side is the met gala and it's like it's like saying i wasn't born famous say love you yeah. when you see like a kardashian at the met gala and you're like why are they there you know like yeah. right but but then on the other side again the mutant books and this whole conversation is about the the intersection now of mutants and and class right so that's a class question like oh i would never be the kind of person invited to the hell to the met gala to the hellfire gala but now we're intersecting that with an identity thing and it's creating really strange moments like a reporter on the x you know on the fashion desk being like oh if only i was born a mutant i could go to this party which is really an interesting question about appropriation which takes us back around the children of the atom like are there people that find being a mutant to be attractive now but do they just want the attractive parts of being a mutant without any of the parts of being of what it really means to be a minority in this world i mean Obviously, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. It was yeah. The answer is yeah. No, but that's what (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Like, I wish, like, you know, it's not that she was saying, uh, like, it's a she, right? Emma newcomer. Emma newcomer is clearly a pseudonym. Yeah, Yeah. who's it really? (laughs) Harry. Yeah. (laughs) Peter Parker. Uh, Yeah. No, but the thing is, it's like it's not even like oh, I wasn't born like a rich person, right? Or I wasn't born someone famous. Like I wasn't born mutant. Like I don't know. It just it took. Like, I was like, whoa, 
Like it's a, it was a lot. I'm like, well, is that that's the age of Krakoa we're living in? Right. That people in Marvel universe are saying that thing. Yeah, but also multiple men helping Jumbo Carnation. I love it. To, <laughs> to make to make, and then cuckoos are there. They're that's all such like a cool transfer. Idea too. Yeah, I love. So uh, this is they just have their own five now. That's like the fashion five. <laughs> Right, so I love it. I love that mutant technology synergy. <laughs> so for Excalibur twenty, uh, it, we should start with a content and trigger warning. Uh, this issue, particular issue, uh, talks uh, very exclusively, um, like you know, in a very, in a way that really <laughs> shook me uh, about uh, suicide. Um, so. I am going to be 34 at the end of this year, but for half of my life, I have been suicidal. Um, I grew up in a family that was very happy, you know, for a Bangladeshi point of view, you know. Um, however, growing up, I was always, I always felt isolated and I always kind of had the same feeling of like, it's better if I'm gone or it's, it's, I just don't, I just want to die. That was always the feeling that I had. Um, and honestly, I never went through with it because I just didn't want to inconvenience anyone with my dead body. Like that was one of the reasons I never did it. And then um, there was <laughs> the funniest thing was that when I started reading Harry Potter, I had to leave because I needed to know what happened to Harry at the end. And then it became about a thing that, okay, at least that next thing is coming. Maybe I should stick around to see that, you know? it's It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that this was uh, some, like, you know, when I was 22, I was actually telling my friend, thinking this is something how everyone feels. I didn't know that this is a very, uh, this is a problematic feeling, and then this shouldn't, like, you should seek help for that. So this, I mean, you know, we want to kind of give the trigger warning and the content warning that there is a lot of conversations around that um, in this in this issue. And if you are feeling suicidal, if you know someone who is feeling suicidal, please seek help. Please go to the suicidal hotline. Um, you can find the local numbers if you just Google. Please, please, please seek help. Um, if I really kind of had one day thought about it and did it, I wouldn't be here. Um, I don't think about it anymore. I'm I'm much in a much better place. But for more than half my life, I just felt like I want to die. So, yeah. Freya, thank you so much for sharing that and for also contextualizing this discussion with it because it's going to be something that comes up in this book and there are certain topics that I think we need to give everybody for fair warning about that we're going to dig into heavily. But I think the other part of that, too, is to say that, like, these topics are reflected in our lives, and that's what can make great art great, and it's also what can make art uncomfortable. And uh, comics are art, and so comics can be great, and they can also be uncomfortable to discuss as well. So we know if some of you aren't going to stick around for us talking more about that in the book, if you haven't read the issue yet, and you happen to be listening to us first, there is no graphic depiction of self-harm in the book, but it is a theme throughout the issue in such a way that it's unavoidable to talk about in the discussion. So from there, we are going to talk about our initial thoughts on Excalibur 20, and we will start with Faria's initial thoughts on how this issue came off for her. 
Um, so in a way, this issue had a lot of like, you know, I mean, obviously we're talking about like the Melissa's background and how she was like, I just want to die. <laughs> obviously it hit a home a lot. Um, it was very, and the thing is like, even though her life was kind of perfect, like not perfect, but you know, her life was okay, apparently. And still she felt that way. That was very, uh, like, you know, that touched me a lot and then also the fact that there were like a bunch of ladies that came together tried to save her even though men were telling her oh we're just gonna put her in the in the you know we're gonna punish her and like yeah but you just finished a meeting with with sinister with shaw with these people and you are okay to punish the lady so we weren't gonna i want to talk a little bit more about that later but anyway so all from all that story content point of view it was a five out of five for me However, it, it it doesn't match thematically thematic thematically with Excalibur, <laughs> with all everything that we have read so far. So I don't know what to think about it, like from that point of view. So I would say from if I see this issue just by itself, it was a five out of five. Harry, well, we're kind of in a similar area where uh, you know I feel. I think it's fair to say this book has kind of uh, made us feel a little battered and fatigued lately, maybe. So when I started this, I really didn't have any expectations. And I don't know Malice. I don't know that character. I don't know, you know, I, the, the point I'm making is just reading this in a vacuum, just as an issue I pulled up, I thought was really powerful. And one of my favorite issues of this book in a, in a while, because it really is just about very primal things of someone deeply in pain, being helped by other people in a very heroic way. And that's a very primal, moving, affecting thing that, that really got to me. Um, I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. Um, I don't know what kind of score I'd give it, probably like a four or four and a half, but um, you're right that it doesn't feel like kind of of a type with the other issues. I don't know if I care. I just really liked reading this book. Um, and that's kind of where I land with it. For me, I think this played to all of Teeny Howard's strengths as an author, you know, the reason that I have enjoyed her on so many other books before she was even in the X office is I think she writes about these sorts of characters and, and feelings really well. One of my favorite books of hers is Euthanauts, which is this book that is very much about kind of the line between life and death and what it means to be alive versus what it means to be dead. And I thought it was really charming and, and affecting. And this is maybe the first time in this whole run of Excalibur that I actually got that feeling from Excalibur. I had some other issues with it, like were all the characters being used well? Does it line up with the continuity? Yeah, but same, you know, same, I same. but at the same time, like I think that this is a great lesson in that matters less and less the more interesting you can make the story. Even the continuity adherents, like me, if you can tell a good story. I will, all can be forgiven. And for me, I, I don't even know if I believe this Malice lined up with what my concept of Malice was. As somebody who literally just read the first five or six Malice um, appearances within the last week, coincidentally, because that's what I'm up to in my personal read. And yet it worked for me because it was just an incredibly well put together story. Yeah. Jumping off from there, I, I think the first thing we can talk about here is that this really focuses in on Betsy and Quanon, and to Faria's point in the intro there, kind of almost casts them 
as, and all of the women in this book, as having some fundamental disagreements with how the men in the Quiet Council are going about things, right? Betsy is called in from this Quiet Council to kind of give an update, and they kind of give her a pat on the head like, that's nice. And it turns out that Betsy was using it to lure out Malice, who at the end of last issue, it seemed like Malice was just into the other world. Like, it felt like that plot was going to take a while to resolve to me. And, uh, and of course, then all the people in the quiet, you know, quiet council are ready to bring down the hammer, hammer, let it not be missed that Sinister used to basically, you know, wield right. malice as a weapon. And yeah. he's just happy to be complicit into sending her into this, um, because she makes an attack on Emma Frost, who later shows her own mercy. And I, that's the first point I want to go around with. It feels like mercy has actually become one of the big themes of this book. We've seen that in the last issue with Quanon turning around and giving Betsy mercy. And now we have the two of them showing mercy along with Emma to Malice, somebody who does the same thing thematically that Psylocke and, uh, has been embroiled in for years. And, and I don't think any of us as readers would have had at the top of our list of somebody to be forgiven. So what do you think about the quality of mercy? And not only the quality of mercy, but the gendered quality of mercy as we are seeing it in this book for you. So, I mean, it kind of brought back a lot of like the things that we have seen that, you know, if it is a female serial killer or a female murderer or like, you know, <laughs> any, they get significantly more prison time or like, you know, sign- their their punishment is significantly worse than men. Like, and then also you would see that their backstory always has like, you know, some kind of trauma, some kind of, you know, some kind of hurt abuse, assault, rape in their lives that led them to that, you know, so which always annoys me. It's like, oh, come on, let me just hate you properly as a, because you were a <laughs> I terrible human. I just want to hate human. people properly. Yeah, I, I just want to hate you. That's all I'm yeah, looking for. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want like all these mixed feelings that, oh, maybe, you know, maybe not. You know, but the thing is like, when you look at it from the men point of view, they're just, they were like bullied and they couldn't handle it. It's just, it, it just like, there was such a difference in there. And then, so you look at it and then you see Professor X. So Sinister was actually not there when he, when they were making that rule. It was, he left earlier than that. Oh, but the I thing is, he he's did. The, but, but he <laughs> did, he did, he is the one who put Malice into the body, right? Like, you know, the, or that's what I think Tyler was kind of um, hypothesizing. So he is part of that. And he always willed her as a weapon to because I kind of read her wiki that, you know, for like getting at people. And here we are, like, you know, Professor is like, yeah, we forget, we forgive everyone, but not her, if she keeps on doing this, and then it's like, oh, she's gonna be a she's gonna be a um, security threat. Yeah, mastermind wasn't. Like, you know, <laughs> and then, I don't believe and then, in prison, but we're sending her to our prison. Uh, right. We're, we're sending her <laughs> we'll, to the we'll prison. We'll get back and to then, that. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then, you know, and then Magneto had the audacity to say, yeah, we ask, expect more from her because of her power. Oh, yeah. So you're not expecting more from others? Like, you know, like I can just go like Will Smith like this. Like, these are the people <laughs> who, are co- who are your, well, we're your council members. Like, what are you doing? So... And I don't know, maybe because they think that, oh, we are mutants. So for us, nothing, not other inter- intersectionality doesn't matter. But it was just very heartwarming to say, see that Betsy and Quanon feels differently about that. It's like, no, it's not. We're going to, we're trying my best to kind of help her because, and I think Betsy feels that way because she was also dis- disembodied. Both Betsy and Quanon feels right. that way because they were disembodied from them. And, you know, so... I don't know. It, that was just so nice. And I, I was like thinking about it. It's like, okay, they are now a different state of their 
their being or their existence where they don't have to run from anything. So they can just help each other like in a such a humane way like this is such a like you know you would see this in avengers story right like it's, it's like this is not this got nothing to do with who they are as a mutant but it's more to do with just them helping another person out you know so i don't know it was just oh so much so much feels <laughs> harry what did you think about all that well that's why i love this so much is just the um the simplicity of it now i, I can't speak as much about the gender dynamics besides professor x is rarely has he come off more as just a moron than in this book but like <laughs> it's <laughs> really this is this even for him this is pretty bad um uh, but like you know mouse again a little you know besides the last issue first time i read this character you know it's just like the, the level of pain is just so overwhelming and so raw and recent even like it's been years and years but it still feels like it is not lessened which is you know the character and like the fact that you know betsy and quan and what have you they just had to match that with like a level of compassion and like resoluteness in that to to get her maybe to somewhere better like that just feels incredibly kind and and earned and beautiful um i think it's just a very primal sort of reaction to that level of pain and i think that was really moving and i didn't expect it at all um but it it, it felt honest in a way in the right kind of way and mm. um i just yeah it, it really impressed me on the long list of things that i love about this issue I love that it framed it with Malice's arrival of her mutant power, and it wasn't framed in self-harm. Like, she is depressed. She is suicidal. Her mother thinks that she has committed some form of self-harm, but that uh, that's not the point of that scene, right? I'm not re- misreading no. it. She just, her power no. happened in that moment. Right. And it recontextualizes who Malice has always been. If you go back and read issues like one of my favorite issues of all time, Uncanny X-Men 214, highly recommended because it's a Dazzler issue by Barry Windsor Smith, I want to say, maybe? It's it's wild. Um, And Malice is just jumping around the whole team. And Malice at that time and in many times after that, she's almost like the quintessential mean girl. Like she just wants to get into somebody's body and cause bad things to happen for them. And she really sinks her teeth into Polaris for a long time and causes a lot of bad things to happen for Polaris. But it's almost like she has this, she's, Teeny Howard recasts it so well because it's just the self-destructive urge playing out for somebody who doesn't have a body. There's nothing There's nothing incongruous or disconnected about trying to go back and interpret her based on that. This is what happens when somebody who's never been helped and is in this state is floating around as a, as a disembodied spirit, right? So on that level, I just was like, wow, that was some major judo of narrative that she just did on us right there. But then mm-hmm. here's the other thing that I loved, and I think... Harry talking about compassion really got it. Psylocke, whoever we're calling Psylocke, Betsy and Quanon <laughs> didn't know all that. All they knew is that they had just shown each other mercy and here was somebody whose situation they could empathize with and they were going to bring her the same degree of mercy that they just showed each other and it didn't really matter why. As it turns out, they really have this deep connection to her. They did. I don't think I didn't get the impression that they knew already from their brief psychic connection from her, all of the stuff yeah. about her and how her power started and why she feels the way that she does. Maybe Betsy had like an inkling of it from her being stuck in her body, but I never got that the story was telling. They know this. She needs help. They're counseling her. They did it because it's what you should be doing for all mutants. Cause everybody's starting from a blank slate on Krakoa. And that's what, 
find to make my final comment here cast Magneto and Xavier in such a stark relief here that made me rethink a lot of what they're doing is that they claim that Krakow is for everybody. They claim that everybody's got a blank slate. God, Magneto certainly has a blank slate. Think of all the people he's killed. But this one woman who, what is the worst thing Malice has even done? I mean, her her crimes have been much more personal, much more invasive, much more of an assault. But she's not a mass murderer that I can remember. I, I don't know her whole history. But they were so willing to just come out and be like, she's the worst. Um, it just really made me think about the hypocrisy of them versus Betsy and Quanon actually being leaders here and doing the thing that everybody says they're doing. And Emma, bless her, and Teeny Howard for writing her this way, waking up from a coma and being like, I've got your back, ladies, because this is actually yeah. what this is about. So really powerful for me. So, so powerful to see all those things at play. And I wish, to be honest, though, that Magneto was the one who was saying all of those things instead of Xavier, because it makes sense that she was like, you know, messing up, messing around with Polaris. Like that would have made oh, sense. Yeah, that oh, would have yeah, been a really yeah, interesting yeah. beat. You know, yeah. it doesn't take because away from she, it that it wasn't, but it would have been a really interesting well, beat. Right. Like at least at least at that point, it's like, OK, Magneto obviously has always been like super like you know protective of newton let alone his daughter so it would have made more personal like you know it's like he's the one who's like yeah nah like you know because, <laughs> because <laughs> that that would have that would have been not like you know better but the fact that it wasn't him and it was like xavier and saying that and then, and then yeah these girls were actually like you know sorry ladies um uh, uh, like betsy i think it was betsy or Quan and one of them said it's like she's just here people come and go in Krakow all the time yeah, so yeah. why why is she so special you know not to mention Shadow King is hanging out in Krakoa. Right. If we're talking about like scale, exponential scale of people who get into people's bodies and do horrific stuff, you've got Malice down here, bad, and like <laughs> Shadow King over there. You know, I, if you not, know, yeah. Not, not to. I'm not being charitable to them because I think they come off awful in this. But I feel like the, the the immediacy of of Malice attacking like uh, you know Betsy in the Quiet Council like makes it feel more fresh, which doesn't excuse it. Yeah. I, I, oh yeah, no, they I definitely are having a moment of like in our Quiet yeah, Council, exactly. really. No, but like it, no. it, it paints them as incredibly, incredibly just incapable of understanding this kind of situation, and yeah. which just makes it such a better stark divide between. Betsy and Quanon, which is just, I, I just think good storytelling in that way. It just yeah. kind of shows the delineation. And and it also brings up another one of my points where I keep on saying that it's like, they, I get it, they're in Krakoa, and I get it, they're all competent porns and stuff. But the thing is, they're also these little, little things that are wrong with them. And one of them is anyone can attack a quiet council member at any time. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what is this? Why is there not a psychic shield? They do that all the time. Why aren't they all wearing Magneto's helmet right there? in the middle of the freaking forest. Like, there's no I doors know. or anything. People can just... I mean, I guess in an open government sense, that's cool. Like, I have been to New Zealand Parliament. That was fun. But, like, at the same time, like, it's, it's a little crazy. I just want to make one pit stop before we go to the next scene. I, yeah. The one panel of Emma in her mental panic room with her arms crossed being like, this bullshit. <laughs> That's funny. Now that I'm so thinking fun. about like, where would I rank Charles and Eric on like the emotional intelligence scale? I don't think oh, I'd go good. very high. It's like five at best. Not, you know? not good. I mean, not Charles good. and Xavier is somebody who can literally just see everybody's emotion laid bare for him of every person in the world, but his emotional intelligence is actually <laughs> pretty low. So we yeah. now pass through a scene that that's one of these kind of casual life scenes. Some people might roll their eyes about it because it's all about fashion, but it's a no. really 
interesting moment that we get at the lighthouse. Betsy wants to find something for the Hellfire Gala. Rogue is trying to coach her on it, knowing she already has the best outfit in the bag, clearly, <laughs> as, as we we've discussed on the Jubilee is just enjoying some gal time, and I really get this sense, maybe just the way she's sitting on the bed and looking at her toddler and then talking to them, that Jubilee feels like she's finally out of the kids' table. Like, she's had a relationship with these two women for so long. There were two yeah. of the women that discovered her, there were two of the women that were in X-Men Blue with her, but it really feels like Jubilee's, like, really on the level with her as adults, and I think in my life of times that I've finally been an adult with the adults instead of the kids table and so I got that and I was already loving it and then on top of that you introduce Quanon into the scene and it becomes about the catharsis of throwing away the things that don't fit you anymore both literally and figuratively again masterclass storytelling by Teeny Howard in my opinion although some people are like oh I'm that dress scene I'm sure not to gender who's gonna not like it I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of people who don't like it but for you what did you think about it no, I mean, that was, that was, so the thing is when she was saying, like, oh, none of this fits me. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I I was like, instantly, I was like, oh, oh no, 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 oh no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, boy. I was like, oh, boy. And please don't tell me one of them has like, you know, Japanese style things in them because I'm like, oh, that's going to be even worse. It's actually a kimono. Do you love it? <laughs> yeah, this isn't like, disrespectful oh. enough to a whole culture. Can we get some weird shit going on? <laughs> yeah. So so the thing is, I was like, oh, no. And then Quanon walks in. I was like, oh, no. And then <laughs> and it's like, yeah, these are all actually your bodies. So take them. Oh, and it's like, these are not my style. The and then, I dressed myself while I was in your body to just take it on like the whole like extra bonus. Like, you know, talk about emotional intelligence. I mean, you know, Betsy, bless her. She's not doing very well either. Like, you know, this is something that Professor X will probably tell to, I don't know, Magneto. I don't know who he will tell this to. But the thing, the thing is, I mean, it just kind of, all of it is like, there was something so like, you know, and then they just burn the dresses. They're like, yeah, it's just, it's just something, let's just, it, and then the, the girls are like the ladies are just sitting in the bonfire of that burning dresses and there it just there's something so nice about it there was I something I, mean, I just kind of I just I can just imagine them these people like these super powered people just carrying this dress or walking to the to the beach it's like hey Bob hey you and then just 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 doing that it just I don't know. I, I just I love that scene. I love that scene a lot. I, and it's just it's just perfect. Like they're not they're not fighting. They're not and they're just getting stuff done. It's just about being mean, a, a human being, really. Yeah. It's not I even mean, about being a mutant. Yeah. It's fair to say that this series can be uh, a little slow paced or lackadaisical at times. And I do think it might sometimes it might be as simple as the A plot isn't hitting that hard. But when you have an issue like this where like the main thrust of the story is so good and affecting and then you have something like this kind of side scene that's so intimate and like personal and kind of like feels so nice as, as you guys have said that like it just it just works together so well um right yeah i not to just repeat everything y'all just said but yeah it just it felt thematically thematically powerful it felt the right level of relaxed it was funny like it just it was a really good scene and credit to Marcus Toe, who I think we sometimes tag for being a little bit plain on some of these characters. I think there was a clear distinction in their faces. I think there was a clear distinction on the, in their body language. I think he sold a lot of the emotions that ran through this issue. This issue would not hit if Marcus Toe was as surface level as we sometimes 
feel that he yeah. can be or, or feel like yeah. he delivers. And so this really made, it just gave me good feelings. Like, well, I love to see an artist step up. This is a hard script to draw. You could have given T. Howard a lot of artists who would have not connected to the emotional moments in this and it wouldn't have hit. And I think it totally, totally hit because Marcus Toe helped no. her hit it. Um, nice. I, I, gosh, just so much stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think the other thing to talk about, just to bring a little bit of Tyler's continuity sense into this while he's not with us today, is um, Betsy and Quanon being able to handle each other's psycho- psychic weapons. What a cool little plot beat that is. Right? Like, it's it, it definitely is like a, hmm, let me just file that one away for later. And they don't really <laughs> remark about it in the moment, but it definitely stuck out like, oh, interesting. They have, like, a connection still. I kind of felt like last issue, maybe that was the last we were going to see them together, but I kind of like the idea that they're intrinsically connected and they're sisters in a way now. I don't know. Did you get that from this, Harry? To an extent. I mean, it, it felt right seeing that they've, on some level worked out a lot of their their drama and their uh, conflict and like seeing them together more unified towards something was was just satisfying i mean i didn't notice the um the the mental blade as kind of connection as much but it is cool now that you're you're pointing it out so i whose power is what though because when they (laughs) when they change their bodies how did the power transferred like or are they both have same power I, you is know, honestly, is? not only am I never sure, but this is complicated by the fact that Psylocke in Betsy in the Quanon body as Psylocke once traded powers with Jean Grey on top of the power trading already, at which point she also got telekinesis. And I'm never sure if that's still a thing or not. So that can, I mean, I know my X-Men pretty well, but the levels of Psylocke nonsense really, really is hard for me sometimes. So the answer is I do not know. I do not, I've always assumed that Quanon and Betsy both had similar psychic powers and through their connection, they've come to manifest it this, in a similar way. But the answer that I, is, I don't know, phone a friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, the only reason I was going to say though, is like, I think this is one of the things that I was a little bit like, oh, really? Like, you know, that we know that Quanon is a woman of color and then Betsy is this white British lady um, and then she's the one who is managing to use her power so well like it just I don't know something about that it kind of get got me a little bit like oh okay like what what are you trying to say and then you know Quanon looked genuinely surprised by that like you know so I feel like that's something but then the payoff was good the pay, like payoff for that all of that at the end was pretty good so I felt like you win, you lose some, you win some. Uh, so the place that I want to head to this for a second to go meta is, Harry's talked a little bit about the slowness of the A-plot here. This feels like the kind of story this book should have been telling all along. It feels like making it, ex- it's a great Betsy book. And I think if you want to call a Betsy book Excalibur, more power to you. You know, I just did this Excalibur guide and Excalibur is usually about a Braddock, a Captain Britain and mutants, two of the three. You can have a Braddock and mutants that's not a Captain Britain. You could have a Captain Britain and mutants, but no Braddock. But, but you know, you could have Captain Britain and a Braddock, but no mutants, but it's gotta be two of the three. And I think yeah. this passes the test, but it's like, I just want this. Can't we have this? It feels so distinct. You could say that it's kind of related to X Factor because it's got that life and, life and death quality to it. But to me, this just feels distinct because it's about 
personhood and it's about forgiveness and it's about like what it means to actually grow and i feel like the best moments of, Ex of excalibur have nailed that and the worst moments is we're looking at richter like stuck in this washing machine cycle where like it feels like richter's plot is supposed to take us somewhere really similar to this plot right we almost could have yeah. had this with richter yes, he has been suicidal yeah. he has been depressed he doesn't and yet we got it with malice which makes me almost like look more askance even of the richter plot to be like why can't you get there with the richter plot when you just did this phenomenal thing in a single issue um and that yeah. i that's uh, like we were talking in the chat it's like okay what are the how, how these stories are progressing what was their starting point and where are they ending i don't know whether this kind of passes the, uh, the test for the excalibur that peter pointed out that you know how what makes this excalibur book but the thing is like it can be a good idea that it's like okay what about all the mutants who feel disenfranchised as a mutant within mutant community right. and how do you bring them home so can it be a story about that? I don't know whether this is the right team for that. Rogue is. I just read Mike Carey's All of Rogue Run. She is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. she, she is. And maybe Betsy and Quanon can be part of that too. I mean, you can make any team work and then make, and also um, Jubilee, make this four, four ladies, the ladies who bring uh, mutants home, you know, mutants who are not feeling good about this. Find, find that uh, Billy Briggs who Storm said, go away that one time in <laughs> in new in classic classic x-men uh what about that that uh prisoner that cyclops met in avx consequences and who was killed off? maybe bring him back like you know let's do this stories you know see i'm also becoming dangerous now i've read excessive amount uh, of x-men i think Dude, within a week you've graduated power. from x-force to the next thing you read so many x-men comics this you week. went from we, like I mean, harry to gillen in like four days i mean so we we have a group chat as many people do in this world where we keep up with each other outside the show and for the speed with which faria consumed from uncanny <laughs> x-men 500 crazy. to uncanny x-men 20 and avs consequences and all of the other books that go with around them it was uh, amazing. I mean, I read yeah. them pretty quickly back in the day, but not that quickly. Anyway, I, I want to bring us to our final maybe discussion here is that much like our discussion in this week's Marauders issue, there's a question of social class and how social class interacts with being a mutant and if the mutant identity erases that or not, which I think you actually just br brilliantly started to tease that this is a thing. You know, Psylocke... Uh, Betsy, gosh, this is hard. Betsy goes in, but we're going to get it right because that's what you do. Betsy goes into Malice's head and Malice's first moment with her is like, you, you posh, you, you wouldn't come to a club <laughs> like this, you know, because there's, because there is clash questions of class. And for a moment I was like, is this a, this can't be a Betsy flashback. Why would Betsy be in this club? But you know, <laughs> Betsy was a model. She, she, she knew her counterculture. And so they bring this, young woman back in her body for the first time in heavens knows how long and they say she's going to get a second chance and emma talks about mercy and how she's nothing if not sympathetic to those who had it hard when they were young but are they going to do something for this person it's one thing again it feels really similar to what's going on in madripar right now in marauders it's like it's one thing to say i did you this solid i built you this hospital i got i helped you rent an apartment i did the i brought you back to a body but what are they going to do for her after that? Because they're basically just returning her to the body she was in that she was depressed in as a kid to begin with. Where Where's the support? We we get Betsy saying, don't blow it, love. Like, wow, thanks, Betsy. Mm. Wow. 
Mm. It's it's so, telling that we're more invested in this than them like fighting a dragon or whatever at this point. <laughs> <We're>, yeah, <laughs> no, we are. We are always I been. Am. But the thing is, Hi. but the thing is, like this, this is this is precisely why I hate hate Children of the Atom so much because like <laughs> save it for next week, Free. Come on, save it. I know it's right, yeah, that's fine. But no, the thing is, like, it's like, it, yeah. but but the thing is, this is, there is like so many stories to tell about mutants because it's not just the end when you just create a nation. It doesn't end it there. You have to build a nation, and this is about the reign of X, which is you know like you, you can look at it from di- many different ways, but it's and. In order to reign or in order to the nation to succeed, their people has to be somewhat stable. And what <laughs> is the community support for that? Like, are they gonna just take her with the new mutants now? Is that what it is? Like, what's the what's I, the what's the like you know where the support system for that? Who is helping her? There is nothing like that. They can't even save their quiet council from random on, attacks. On some level, I understand that like you know commercial books would rather have them fighting like bridge trolls or whatever than dealing with trauma but like this writer very clearly is very adept at dealing with like nakedly powerful emotions like this so like i would love to see some follow-up with this next issue like it's no secret we've all very much perked up this issue because this is much more powerful than anything we've been reading not to come on come down too hard on the series but like it's oh it's the best the issue of excalibur by far yeah like, by, I, far. I don't think oh. by far by far I mean, la- I mean, we we have actually all rolled our eyes that we're gonna get an Excalibur again. Yeah. <laughs> like and that's why we come into this and do this every week. Like we yeah. really, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're gonna get. Sometimes Hickman right. writes a good comic, and I get excited. You, you just don't know. Uh, oh. so, slip, slip so them I, in. <laughs> yeah, if Rhea can slip in her children, the Adam dagger, I can, yeah. I can get a Hickman dagger. Yeah, so like you know, it's I, fine. I'm sorry that I can't get off of this topic. I say one more thing, and then if you don't have more things to go around, this can yeah, be the end. I saw this beautiful piece of data this week. We all know that I love data. And it was about uh, income levels and the ACT scores. ACT is a U.S. alternative to the SAT. It's more prevalent in the South and Midwest than the SATs. And um, it was it looked like this beautiful wave of color. And you're like, wow, how did the data get like that? And it's because the wave of people with a low income who get low ACT scores up to high, it, it's, a, it's just a perfect little curve. The less money you have, the worse you do on the test. The more money you have, the better you do on the test. The test, the only thing the good the test is an absolutely solid predictor of is income and it really made me think about this i thought about it as i was reading the issue because betsy says it's a fresh start should i do the british accent i asked and people said they think that most people think that her british accent is similar to liz hurley's but i can't do a liz hurley accent so anyway (laughs) it's a fresh start no one can promise it won't hurt like hell but i've certainly had enough of my own this one's yours which really just makes me think of somebody taking somebody from a low-income family, which I was from, <laughs> into a room that has an SAT test or an ACT test and sitting them down and going, you know, everybody has challenges in their life, but this blank test paper, this is your chance to show what you're going to do. So good luck and yeah. do well. They're not going to do well because they don't have any of the privileges that you've had your entire life to set you up to know what to do well when you get that blank sheet of paper. How is this any different than... 
<laughs> get it. <laughs> get pissed. <laughs> I just really felt like I know that some people are gonna te- are gonna like read that scene and be like, "Oh, that kind Betsy." But to me, it almost felt like a total character assassination of Betsy <laughs> to have that be the last line of the issue. Like it felt so missed the point. Like she got so close to helping somebody. She got so close to understanding something about Quan and about Malice. And then she's like, "Everybody loves a second chance." I always do great by mine. I don't know why. <laughs> Look at these gams, though. <laughs> it just feels so incongruous. So incongruous. Yeah. So but I do get there's something powerful that she's saying, too, that I think connects to Free's message at the beginning of this episode. Like, anybody can have these feelings and anybody can be shown that, like, there, there's something to make you look forward to tomorrow. You've got a body again. There's a Harry Potter book. Like, do something with it. But at the same time, it felt really toned up. So I don't know. It, was it toned up or was it encouraging? What did you I, take away from this final moment? I just view it more as, like, the limitations of superheroes where this may be the most support they can mm. get. That doesn't sound right, but it's just more like... <laughs> the limitations this is of superheroes an... are the limitations of superhero comics, Harry. Superhero comics, yes. Okay. Like, these yeah. are... these. I mean, the, the, the kindness and compassion in this book I still feel is, like, why I love reading this kind of stuff. Because it's, like people that make things better like that's a very inspiring lovely thing but like them should yeah like at the end of the day like they're gonna have to revert back to not to be reductive of fighting the bridge trolls they don't have to but i feel like that's what's gonna happen what do you have against um, bridge trolls harry i don't know I, it's just a fun phrase <laughs> i like saying bridge trolls <laughs> what did I ever do that? they stole my money i was on a bridge uh yeah, no your date your goat i mean come on right. uh, <laughs> yeah i don't know i just took it more as like you know you're right that's like it's it is kind of like all right go figure it out idiot but like um you know, I guess I just read it more as this is just where the story will stop, which is to say that I would love to see it continue. I hope mm. to be proven wrong, not to be cynical. All right, Freya, take so us home the thing now. is, what like, did you think about no, it? No, no, no. But the thing is, it also makes sense that her mom before was saying that you need to f- pay attention to your coursework so that uh, you don't have to, like, you know, be like, you know, oh, right, suffer. It was in the text of the book. I didn't even think yes. about that. But clearly yeah, so did. yeah, yeah. So it was actually there that her mom was also telling her that you need to do this, and she was just this depressed person who just wanted to die. And to be honest, though, I am not convinced that she's not gonna try it again because now that she has a body again, that she's this is the this is not the end for her. This is just like, there's, a chance. Yeah, this, this is, is like a, a chance, field. and then without yeah. the support, it's it's not going to go away for her because you know this unless they somehow manage to erase that. Part of her like you know i don't know what professor x does he's weird so you know <laughs> but the thing, other, yeah, the, yeah the other thing to that is is that i think betsy's reaction is very much like um a british person reaction mm, that's interesting <laughs> nice you know? yeah you're right <laughs> you know like it's or a the, very the british person reaction yeah, yeah it's a very british and it's not to mention that he's also in that like, she's also very high class like you know so the thing is like, i i did not see this movie but i like i listened to a podcast which made fun of this but the megan and harry's thing like you know when they got the royal wedding whatever so the thing the converse apparently there's a scene in there which is like megan is saying that oh i grew up in a biracial and she and he's like i grew up ginger and (laughs) (laughs) one of of the things i commented oh one of the things the commentators said like i 100 believe maybe none of the other things in this movie is true but that's a true like that that happened that happened to (laughs) megan the girlfriend had to listen to this so i was kind of thinking about thinking about that it's like maybe it's just such a british thing it's like you know i mean yeah we we brought you back 
I have British friends I talk I mean, about I have, their feelings. Like, yeah. yeah, because, you know, she, from the Quiet Council, she got, like, so many news that Saturdine is against her. There's, like, the gate that she has to maintain. There's the gala she has to go through, go to. And she's like, yeah, I have a lot on my plate, too. So you can do it, too. I, you can do it, too. Second chances. Har, har. My so, body was just used as a template for an entire omniversal fighting course. So exactly. So you brought this. You got like, this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I think like it's a more British reaction <laughs> than anything. Upper yeah. class British reaction. <laughs> Brian the human would not do any better. All right, so. no. oh, sound off far in the worse. Are we are <laughs> we being <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't have said that oh my British friends are like that. I can't no, I retract. Harry that. has British but, friends, okay. Uh, so. I, yeah, I can say it. God <laughs> <laughs> also this week, in addition to the two X-Men books we got to read just before we headed into our virtual studios to do this talk, the news broke on Twitter about the upcoming launches of Reign of X. Now, we already knew what was going to be happening through June with the Hellfire Gala, but this announcement had three big bombshells on it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that now. So let's take each one of those uh, one at a time, shall we? So in July 2021, we are getting a relaunched X-Men number one, and it is going to be written by Jerry Duggan with art from our friend, Pepe Laras. What do you think about that? This is a crazy move, but it's an awesome one. Those are my initial reactions. I mean, how often does the main showrunner writer just, I assume, voluntarily leave and have a new creative team come on and it's a really good creative team. Duggan and Loraz, I mean, obviously we're going to see how they do with plant size X-Men, but it seems like a great fit and I'm very excited. Bria? Super excited about uh, like Loraz coming back, uh, like, you know, coming and doing like an ongoing, uh, unsure whether he'll be able to maintain a month to month uh, schedule because he does really detailed stuff. Uh, Jerry Dugan uh, doing number, number one X-Men. I mean, we love Jerry Dugan here. Uh, now we know why Cable is ending because the man is already <laughs> a busy bee. So, yeah. you know, so it's going to be X-Men. I'm assuming, I don't know what the purpose of the X-Men is going to be. It's probably going to be Cyclops being boring all the time. So... <laughs> And I mean, hopefully maybe Jerry Dugan will finally get me to like him. I mean, I have suffered through entire, like, you know, <laughs> Uncanny X-Men 500 to X Uncanny X-Men 20 by Dylan. And yeah, no. So, so yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm also kind of worried what's it going to mean in terms of those high big concept things that we have seen in X-Men 19, where those stop going. You know, I think it's interesting because X-Men has been so high concept. It's been in, it's kind of knocking out these big concepts into the world. But we know it's going to go through a shift with the Hellfire Gala, not only because of all that it implies, because we know we're going to get this voted on team who's going to be the X-Men. Right. And I, I think it's really interesting. You know, Hickman certainly could have kept writing that if he wanted to, I'm sure. But, you know, he, he doesn't for some reason, which I think sends some interesting signals about a lot of things. And if we look past at the last 19 issues of Marauders, there have been many times on Marauders that I've said, and the internet could tell you that I've said, that Marauders feels like the X-Men book. It's very frequently just felt like the X-Men team. So from that perspective, I'm kind of interested in, in Duggan getting this team that's being voted on and using them to do X-Men stuff. I think he wrote a lot of great issues of Uncanny Avengers. I think he's shown that he's a really capable author and I'm, I'm into it. But there's other things that kind of are interesting to me, like Hickman, this is Hickman stepping out of the center ring, maybe, who knows what his book's gonna be, we'll get to that in a second. 
second, which I think is unprecedented in its own way. And also I think it's interesting to relaunch it with a number one. Like it could have easily just been yeah. issue 22 or 23 or 25 or whatever. I, I don't know that we need a relaunch. I think it makes a strange dynamic to have this be a number one with the same title. I think if it was going to be Amazing X-Men or Astonishing X-Men or Uncanny X-Men, that'd be different. But I just, and I get that it's a new author and it's going to have a very different feel I just think it's really strange to relaunch it. I know it's mostly a marketing thing, but it just feels so weird to me in the middle of all so, this reign of X stuff to like put a pin in the momentum yeah. of that title. One thing I was just going to say that if you are a Marvel reader, look at every number one as someone, it's a new chapter in those characters' lives. If you look at it from that point of view, it often makes sense. Yeah, not to come off like a heretic. I don't and will never care about numbers and comics. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me. It never will. Now that said, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like this line has the muscle to not need those kind of relaunches. Maybe Marvel knows something we don't. That would make sense. But like, it does seem a little odd. Um, All of those variants cover, man. I, I think who that's cares? the thing. I'm I don't, sorry. I don't, I don't super get crazy about numbering. Like it bothers me yeah. sometimes, but it's just a way, a fact of life. I think the thing that it does is it makes a weird dynamic with the other books that are older, because like yeah. it, if you have an X-Men, which is probably the best seller anyway, and you're getting it back to number one to make it like a great seller again, what is going to happen with these books that theoretically are still ongoing? Like is Marauders ending? Is Excalibur ending? Uh, what are the other original launch books that we still have? Is New Mutants going to end? Well, you know, it's, uh, right, like these that books way. that are, you know, what is what does it do to the dynamic of the line to make X-Men the new exciting book again when there's books like Sword that like barely have made it out of King and Black? So that I think that's my reaction more than like, no, number ones are bad or like whatever I number. And my, my comic guide is going to be harder because you gave me another number one to explain. <laughs> I think it's just that the strangeness of the dynamic of giving a relaunch to it in a, in a world where we still have a lot of young titles. I agree. Okay, so let's talk about the next one on the list right now. Leah Williams and Valerio Shiti are going to be on a classified book, but we can all read, and it's intentional that it can be read, that it says the trial of something. Could it just be the trial? It could be the trial of Beast, the trial of Wanda Maximoff the Pretender, the trial of Sabretooth. Nobody knows. Trial of Dokken. Nobody knows. Nobody I knows. Hope they just put, put Beast on trial again. Just keep doing it. <laughs> or is it a know. metaphorical I... trial? Right? We we just don't. And there, where's the X? Why are you going to name something the trial? There's got to be something other than the trial. We already have a way of X. We're like really meandering from the legacy <laughs> titles. It's got to be the trial of something. The X, the trial of X, the trial I... of what? What do you think it's a trial of? So uh, the way I was looking at it is like trial could be the trial, the judge, jury, executioner, right. that trial. Or the trial could, could be. be experiment you know mm. so you know so the thing is like is moira going to pull another age of x uh we're gonna get there one day uh so is that <laughs> is that going to be you know it's just a tri- like an experiment that moira doing something is a trial is like a suffering like like you know yeah. that that's also something so without knowing of what it's kind of hard to say i hope to god it's not just wanda because let it go like let it go what are you gonna yeah. do what are you gonna do the girl's gonna come and say i was under mental mental depression oh i'm so sorry we already I established am. that they can they can they can you know they can um forgive people like you know they just did it with uh malice <laughs> so it's gonna be weird like even though I'm she's a genocidal maniac, but diametrically you know. opposed. I think uh, I think Wanda would be cool, and I want to read that. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I take away from this announcement, without any speculation. I I I could I don't care who's on trial. Yeah. I truly don't. Yeah. But um, here's the thing. <laughs> of all of the artists at Marvel right now who are a name of their own, Valerio Shiti is 
real darn high on that list. He oh, just yeah. drew an event last year. Like he was an event artist. They used him to launch Sword out of that event. I would argue that after Laz, he he might be on the top of the depth chart of artists at Marvel right now, other than maybe yeah. Silva. And so, to, and then probably Azwar, like right right there too, right? So, uh, and Dodderman, but it's it's a small group that that you would pick that would move a title like this. So what is yeah. the significance of having Leah Williams launching a title and putting Shitty on the title? Like to me, that makes it feel like it is a big deal. It doesn't feel like it can just be like any other regular book. It, it just doesn't feel like you would give any other regular, I mean, maybe you would, maybe they want to make sure that Leah's, Leah Williams' book launches really strong, but I, she, the use of Shitty here feels real intentional to me. And for Do you me, feel it's, also yeah. it's a miniseries? Yeah, I do. Like an event? I do. I do. This yeah. is odd for me because maybe it's just because Shidi's been in Space World for so long between Sword and Empire, but like I just view like him as an artist as like just such like a larger in life, like grand scope, I do too. epic scale. And then you have the trial, which sounds like a more character focused thing to, to me. Um, so I don't like what's that gonna look like? It's just, it, it seems like an odd pick from the outside. Um, I'm just speculating, let's make a trial of Moira X. I Ugh. hey, and, I mean, and not trial as in like a trial, as trial as in like suffering of Moira X. We're all gone through Genosha uh, and House what, of M. Gosh, like, what if know, it's finally the Mora title and it's Leah Williams? Oh my yes, god, pretty good. Yes, and it has to be like you know because Hickman said when he Hickman was talking about it, he always used the term "they" in in his original talk about it. So obviously it's a woman because typically if it's a man, they will say it's a he. Uh, so it's a woman, and I really hope it's not Vidal. Or it could have been they. Uh, so no, I really hope it's not Vidal. Well, wow. we'll see. No, so, yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm, I mean, I'm ready for any any Leah Williams comics that you can give to me. We we we, X, yeah. we I don't usually use the word stan, but we're big fans of X Factor on this yes. on this channel. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so there's a th and that's that's the book for August, and then there's mm -hmm. a third book for September 2021. It says question mark number one. Jonathan Hickman, artist redacted. Although I think we can all see the first letter of the first name is an A. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh. So well. what do we think Hickman's doing and who's a really hot artist that starts with the letter A? Let's go to NYCC guest list from last three years and we'll know who, <laughs> who is, is he networking with. Yeah, I mean, who is Art he networking with? Art Adams is the easy guess. I mean, that would be an interesting pairing. Gosh, does he that do would be wild. He's not, is does, he still? Does he do other things other than cover? It's been a long while, right? It's been, uh, he did, he did, um, he did that Red Hulk book for like a couple issues or one issue. That is a long time ago. Could be Adam Kubert. It could be. I, uh, no, because it doesn't look like there's another A. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I mean, clearly okay, we can do research. Why even reduct <laughs> this? Like, why even reduct I think this? they haven't figured it out yet. That's my per. You think it's a finalized. fake lead? False news? I False squad. No, don't stress me out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like maybe they haven't finalized the deal. I, maybe I'm just... Spit They've got to be drawn it by now. Yeah, for September. Yeah, or they have to know. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. Like for September. What? You're right. You why to... would they hide the artist? Like, what's the? Yeah. Point? Why? <laughs> what are you trying to get out? Uh, okay. It, like, or artist... unless, yeah. unless that artist is currently working on something else, and that will come to an end. 
Yeah, and so, it, it would like kind of tip she, like, oh, I wonder if that title is going to be over. Like yeah. maybe they just don't so want the drama. That's that. That maybe that's the reason. And I'm pretty sure my gala will know. Question Adam is, Kubert. what's the title? What is the title? It's better not be Uncanny X Men or some other nonsense. No, I think that's too basic. I feel like it's got to be like. I mean, Moira is the simple answer. That would make a lot of sense. But he did say he wants someone else for that book. So yeah, he already talked with someone else for that book. It's, that's it, what he it said. It is the we, why would. The most successful, let's, I mean, the most successful big two writer right now, flagshipping the most successful line right now, or high up there, why would he leave the main book for something else? It it just boggles my mind. I'm so well, curious. Here's the thing. Maybe I've been seeing people done. on Twitter. I've been seeing people on Twitter being like, oh, this is bad for the line. They're, they're moving Hickman off the main book. Let me let me speak to my constituents as the chief of the Hickman Haters Club here. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to do with this, okay, folks? Yeah. Hickman, yeah. this is, he decided. Does anybody remember the Avengers and New Avengers run? Like, if he wants there to be a spinoff book, if he wants to not double ship, if he wants to write, that's up to him. Marvel will take whatever they can have. If he's coming off yeah. of X-Men to do this book, it's because he wants to do this book. And furthermore, it might be a book that if it wasn't by Hickman, wouldn't have the pop that it's going to have by Hickman. It's kind of how like he did the first arc of New Mutants. He did the first arc of New Mutants because A, he likes New Mutants and B, yeah. because it was going to have a lot of heat to say that this title, which maybe historically doesn't do as well as these other titles, which have an X in the title, is going to have Hickman's name on the opening arc. Does this mean he's always going to write it? No. Does this mean it's an ongoing title necessarily? No. All that it means is that Hickman wants to write it and they know they're going to sell a whole ton of copies. That's the only well, thing that you should be taking from this. And to be honest, and to be honest though, it would have made sense to do this from the beginning though, that have Dogen or someone else do the X-Men and Hickman do this other title, which is going all the big concept stuff and then putting it out there. I don't even think X-Men should have been called X-Men. I think X-Men should have yeah. been called like, a, you'll notice that I've been saying Age of Krakoa. I stole this from Krakoa Welcomes on Twitter. It was a delightful account that just does constant X-Men memory in a really kind and inclusive way. And I just think we're just gonna, I'm just gonna call this whole thing Age of Krakoa. And I think that X-Men book should have just been the age of Krakoa. Like that, it's well, not X -Men. hard sell. Yeah, hard but right, so then who's gonna buy that? Well, it's got Hickman's yeah. name on it though. What are you age gonna not Krakoa. pull the Hickman? Yeah, but uh, yeah, but then you're gonna think that words. you're gonna think that's an that's image word. Image, yeah, that's gonna you're gonna think that's an image hardcover like cover like image book. Then you're like, oh, why does it have Marvel on it? Oh my God, I'm reading X Men. Oh, yeah. well, no. like, oh no! Do we think this there's book broccoli is gonna... in this? <laughs> do we think this book is gonna be the flagship? Do we think this is gonna be a side thing like New Mutants? Like I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what side, what's flagship and what side thing. They all look like flagship. X-Men, yes, I'm not talking in terms of quality, but like X-Men, the proper book, like was plotting out this world. It did yeah. feel like the thing that was figuring out this whole society in its own way. And then all the other books kind of took their cues from that and fleshed it out. Like, I can't picture him moving to the side in that way. So what is bigger than X-Men? And I don't, I don't know. Anything, I, I to be honest. Moira, I've read my, way my too much. Goes, Anything. I hate those X-Men. Well, let's let's just hate those X-Men. Let's just take a moment here. I love mutants. I hate X-Men. Sure. And that's how you know she's an X-Men fan now. So, what are the plot threads other than Mora? It's a very favorite answer to give that Hickman has set up. I mean, we've got 19 issues of setup from him now, right? There's Orca stuff. There's the whole what's sure. going on in the Shi'ar Empire that's been teased across multiple books right now. Like, and and that one of the early kind of future teases was Bobby on the throne because he's dating Deathbird. We know that 
Tickman likes writing Bobby. Like, that's a thing. What else have we got? The, uh, the Children of the Vault. Children of the Vault. Brood. What, all, what are the other and, things he um, set up? Mystique. Destiny. Mystique and Destiny. Destiny, yeah. The Mystique is up to no good. Like, she's what's sitting it? in the council and then saying enough. Like, what's been Mystique is up to something. What's been so interesting about this run is, like, you know, there's all this stuff that Hickman's introducing, and you're like, ooh, I wonder if he's going to pick up with that. But then, like, another writer just takes it. So it's like, I wonder what, like, really is going to be instrumental going forward. I don't know of those five. It could be anything or none of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, no, absolutely. I got no clue. <laughs> yeah, because the Crucible, Crucible got taken by Way of X. Right. Right. So that's Correct. not like, you know, that's the, off the table. Yeah, the, all the stuff with the uh, Araco done. That's done. done or so you, know. you think. Yeah. It's oh, going to so be yeah, about Apocalypse serving his wife breakfast in bed every day. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I would read I would that. Welcome, I would read the shit out of that. <laughs> I would welcome that. Um, but yeah, but then otherwise, it's like all these stuff that are just hanging about. So it could There's be any gotta one be of them. something. I mean, if it's but the thing is, if you think about the logo, though, right? Because people, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's gonna be uncanny X Men." Ew, you're gonna put uncanny the tiny thing at the top over there, and then put X Men like that just looks awful. Oh, so you so think it's the actual the... shape of the logo? You don't just think it's there to be a question mark? You think that's I the thought shape? it's the latter. I took the I, latter, honestly. I thought that that was the actual shape because all of them are, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, I feel like they would put a box or something. Like, yeah, if it and make it more like redacted. Yeah. That's what, what they did. That's how I thought, because that's what they did for the other one, right? Well, then it makes so. me think it's just going to be another X Men team because it's the oh, same shape as don't, the, uh, well, don't the confuse the shape. the ma- Don't confuse the masses like that. <laughs> but it's the same shape as the X Men logo. I'm looking right at <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's going <laughs> to look right. so weird. <laughs> I just wanted to stick with like the big world building, the castle yeah. stuff. That's what you're good at, man. Just stay there. Like we. But I also it. wanted to dig into it. Like we saw with X Men yeah. 18 and 19, we're so tired of these one shot stories, even though they're they're great for a while, but the rhythm of them is wearing us down. And I'm kind of yeah. like, like just dig in, like whatever the thing is going to be. That's why you're hearing me be excited about Hickman. I always love the possibility of Hickman, right? The Schrodinger's <laughs> Hickman. Like, I don't know what's in the box yet. What's in the box? You're I don't know. De- you're so, describing a bad girlfriend where you're like, oh, the potential is so there. And then it's like, <laughs> never got there. <laughs> hey, listen, if, if I remember that AVX number six was written by him, I would have been even more excited about Oxbox than I was. <laughs> But here's the other thing. What if this is a little bit of a fake out? We Hick Dugan's title is called X-Men, but we don't know that that's going to be the team that got voted X-Men, that they're going to be doing X-Men things. We just know that it's called X-Men. I mean, Hickman's book could easily be called New X-Men. He already did the Avengers, New Avengers thing. New X-Men calls back to Morrison. It calls back to Academy X. It could be Gen X. It's his favorite X-Men book. Like there's so much potential in addition to all all the hints that he's dropped already for what this book could be. I, I probably should have just gone through the list of like all of the X titles ever to be like, what do we not have right now? What, what's on we the- don't have, We don't have, not, am... we don't have Astonishing, Amazing, Uncanny. We don't have Exterminators. Extraordinary. Of District X. Extreme X-Men. Extreme Ooh. X-Men. <laughs> any kind of generation, anything. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's a lot right, of potential. No, I'm saying it. I'm saying new X-Men. That's my pick. That's what all right. So now be. you have to cast your lasting vote that you will be mocked for in, in a later time. <laughs> of these three, which one currently excites you the most? July X-Men relaunch by Duggan and Laras, August secret Leah Williams Valerio Shitty title, or September secret Hickman title. Which one of them is the most exciting for you right now, Harry? 
Uh, probably X Men with Duck and Larez because that's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's only going to get excited about what's real and tangible. None of no, this mystery. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was my fake answer. Um, I am. I'm sorry. I'm still just most curious about the Hickman thing. I mean, he's the showrunner. I want to see where he goes. That's mine. It's yeah. a basic pick, but that's mine. Um, like as much as I want to see where where my soulmate is going to be uh, doing, um, I'm excited about Leah Williams' title. You know, child of what or whom? I want to know. So I'm more mostly excited about that one. Hmm. I would have to agree with Freya. I, I'm ready for this to be the the Leah Williams comic book industry. Like, let let's get ready. I look at like the 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 year that Tinyan is having right now, and let me tell you, man, if there's anybody writing books that I'm addicted to at this moment, Batman's my favorite comic book right now. Can we just <gasps> can we just live with that information for a second? If I made you a list of my top 10, 15, 20, it doesn't matter how long it is, because it's right. my favorite one. Um, and then on top of that, Department of Truth and Wind and Something's Killing the Children, I'm ready for Leah Williams to be in that position. Let's let's get it. So if we need to get a couple more X-Men titles for her to write, and some of them are going to have Valerio Shitty, and if it's an event book, and if it's going to be the trial of somebody, I'm it's on, man, because I want I I want that comic book industry. So any, right. any book I can buy multiple copies of from Leah Williams to help get to us to there, that is my one that I'm the most excited for. I, I'm all in. Yes, I'm... I'm weird, I guess, because X Factor is my favorite book right now. But like the name, the writer, and the artist, and you love so Valerio Shitty. You love that. <laughs> it just I can't. My brain instead of like being fascinated by the like the vagueness, I'm just more like I can't see this. I don't get it yet. Tell me what it is, and then I'll get excited. I'm like, why are you having like, trouble feeling joy, Harry? It's all things that it's all things know. that bring you joy. Why why was, can't you just go with it and be happy? Raised Catholic. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh, with that <laughs> all right folks that's been our discussion about this week's x-men comic books i've not read the rest of the poll this week i've been i've been locked in the editing bay wrestling with with the green screen around my voluptuous hair so i have not read the rest of x-men comic books this week but here's what i'll tell you next week on the schedule we have What's going to be a really interesting week for conversation here, it is Children of the Atom, number two, Ugh. and Wolverine, number 11. It's Can we find excitement and, and joy in these two comic books? <laughs> hey, man, we just liked an Excalibur issue, okay? That's true, things, that's true. You know, no, 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 we've had to be found all over the place in this world. This is week number two of, whoa, this is the best issue of this series. Yes. So, what hey. was last week? X-Men. What was last week? X-Men. Oh, that's right! Yeah. It was a great week. issue. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I mean, I did, Children of the Atom has to do a super 180 for me to. It like, like pays it. off for his credit card debt when she reads it. Like, just incredible. <laughs> so, something like that. <laughs> Deposits like a million dollars in my account, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we're only two weeks out from the debut of Way of X by Spurrier. So that's exciting. Two weeks, though. Two weeks. We got to get through next week first. Okay. Nemesis is back in there. Oh, oh my gosh. So excited. So, I'm so excited. Until next time, the whole reason we get together and do this, even when the Kiwi internet is determined to keep me away from my friends, <laughs> as maybe it wasn't Evans to you after the edit, but we had so many problems getting this whole conversation together. Dear God. Why do we go through this, Faria? 
X-Men is better when it's read together. That's right. Especially when it's being read 9,000 miles around the world to your friends on the East Coast of the United States. So on the behalf of myself, of Faria and Harry, of Tyler, who was able to join us for the conversation this week, thank you so much for being a part of our conversations here on This Week in X. We so value that we get to talk to each other, but we also greatly value that you think anything we're saying is interesting at all. So thank you for listening. And until we get to talk to you again, please be well. By the way, Tyler's actually in the peak. He's not dead or gone back to resurrection. (laughs) 